This is The Drive with Josh Graham podcast. Tune into The Drive weekday afternoons 3 to 7 on Sports Hub Triad. This is The Drive with Josh Graham. Give it to me straight, Chief. Here we go. Isn't anyone going to say what we all better be thinking? On WSJS Sports. We'll get to college football in a second. Panthers Hall of Honor inductee Jordan Gross is going to join us in 15 minutes. But now that the worst that we feared of has been realized, um, we're gutted here. Authorities say one student was killed following a shooting at Mount Tabor High School in Winston-Salem. The police response was massive and... We don't appreciate those folks enough. Those with the Forsyth County Sheriff's Office, Winston-Salem PD, for securing the campus and securing other schools and making sure they're safe as well. Officials have confirmed to the Winston-Salem Journal that all other students were safe, but one too many killed earlier today. So our thoughts are certainly with the students at Mount Tabor we're heartbroken by this and wanted to make sure that was known. Sports is often an area where we yell at each other and we have a lot of fun day to day. It's an escape and we intend for this show to be just that, but I wanted to make sure that was known. We see the headline. There's no way we can minimize that. But right here, it's an opportunity for an escape. And if there's anything else to add to this, story we will make sure that information is shared with you all on twitter at wsjs sports if you want in as always 336-777-1600 is the phone number we're one day away from college football kicking off in charlotte it's the first leg of the dukes mayo classic you got the second leg clemson and georgia that's going to get the most national attention but at 7 30 bank of america stadium It's East Carolina Appalachian State, and Robert, it's starting to get personal now. I was listening to some sound from App State Offensive Coordinator Frank Ponce, and he made the most unforgivable mistake you can make when you're talking about your opponent when that opponent is the East Carolina Pirates. He made the big mistake, the big no-no, Let's hear that sound. He got here to where we're at now, getting ready for Eastern Carolinas, that he is now understanding that every play is not going to have to be a deep ball or a home run, that we're going to just take what the defense gives you. And if you do that, you're going to be safe. You're going to get a lot of completions. Oh, no! An Eastern Carolina reference, Robert. For those who don't realize it, see, App State fans should know the deal. This Ponce, he was at Louisville before this. He was hired as the OC earlier this year in the quarterback's coach. But before being hired at Louisville, Robert, he was at Appalachian State for a handful of years. He should know better. App State people should be particularly, you know, sensitive to this particular, this this kind of mistake. Because how upset do App State fans get when people call them Appalachian State? 
You got to know better. Robert, if you're ECU head coach Mike Houston, are you using this sound as bulletin board material? This coach, they don't even know what your name is. They can't even pronounce your name right. Probably not. There's probably storylines that can... <laughs> I doubt he's pulling up this voice record pro recording of this guy yeah. saying Eastern North Carolina. And he doesn't even say it like Eastern, like he's trying to make a point. He just Let says... Let me hear it again, because I think he might have added an S to it, Robert. I don't think I've heard Eastern Carolinas before. Let me hear it one more time. That's the biggest improvement that he's made from when he got here to where we're at now getting ready for... Eastern Carolinas that he is now understanding that every Eastern Carolinas. He just sounds like a good old boy who's talking too quick. Yeah. So you don't think it's going to be bulletin board material. I don't even think they've heard this. I I don't even think that it's something that's on their radar. The irates have irate fans. I'm sure they're, they're scrounging for anything. Anybody that even any Steven Igo post that goes up they're they're consuming that rapidly. So I'm sure if anybody quote tweeted this and was like, oh, Eastern Carolina, they're Appalachian now. That's what we're calling them. I'm sure that the Pirate Faithful all retweeted, favorited, and quote tweeted that. That sound, courtesy of App State Media Publisher. But East Carolina had some things to say that App State took issue with, specifically offensive linemen, Sean Bailey. Pirate offensive lineman Sean Bailey revealed what the Pirates' approach is going to be facing a very good and experienced Appalachian State front. This sound courtesy of Pirate Radio. We want to get after them. Um, They're experienced, but we feel that if we get him in the mouth, we might be able to throw him off a little bit. So that's kind of what we're going with. We want to be a physical offensive line. We want to get after them. How important is it to do that early? Uh, It's paramount. Oh, it's Paramount, huh? Before we get to these jokes, like the Paramount stuff, Sean Bailey would not play for my team. The dude the dude sounds about as fired up as an ice cube. I mean, just listen to his tone here. We want to get after him. Um, they're experienced, but we feel that if we get him in the mouth, we might be able to throw him off a little bit. So. He's already lost. Sean Bailey, we're going to punch him in the mouth. He sounds like Hank Hill with no beer. Like... What's wrong with this kid? You know what I think's paramount? I think it's paramount that somebody lights a fire under his ass. Because I don't know if it was media day or what the heck was going on, but this dude could care less about this quote. I, I'm used to being there with the offensive lineman would be funny. We What was that big dude's name? He's on the Jaguars practice squad now. From Florida, he was a guard, big beard. Uh, Garrett McGinn. You ever talked to Garrett McGinn and he wasn't I fired up? I, yeah. I, I know you talked to him. You you covered EC really a lot. I get oh, it. Oh, and the Panthers. He was in the Panthers locker room for a little while. Uh, th- those dudes ain't never, they're always fired up. What is this dude's deal? He's going to have a holding penalty, false start, and, and playing on the wrong side of the ball. He doesn't sound like he's even ready for the game. Maybe I'm too hard on him, but that, that, that does not in, inspire any kind of confidence in ECU at all and on my side. Paramount jokes, huh? Now let's get I, don't, to I don't know what you're talking about, but I am interested, Sean Bailey. What studio created the movie, the Leonardo DiCaprio movie, Shutter Island? Uh, that's fair enough. He's not exactly even excited right. about that. He's not even excited to answer your damn question. I like Shutter Island. I'm surprised he's not upset, or he's not more excited about that. I'm hey, excited about the new Top Gun movie that you can see on uh, 
Dad gum it. Oh, that's fair enough. Thank you, Sean Bailey. You knew that, but you can't figure out how to get a little fire in you. I need to correct him. It's actually Paramount Plus. You can watch that, I think. It is Paramount Plus. That's Gosh. too bad for him. He, he needs to be better. The reason I bring up that clip, it was on Twitter, and kind of like the Jordan meme where Jordan's looking at something on his iPad or responding to a question in the last dance and I took that personal. Demetrius Taylor, the great DN that's probably going to be playing in the NFL one day, he quote tweeted this quote from Sean Bailey with the caption, cool. That's probably the best response to it. This game's huge for both sides, for East Carolina, for Rap State. I think it's bigger for the Pirates because I think ECU needs to win this game to get to six to get to their first bowl game for the first time since 2014 when Lincoln Riley was calling plays. App State, what they have at stake, if they don't win this game, they're probably not going to get the double-digit wins. So that's the problem that App State has, and those are the standards they have right now. It'd be the second consecutive year they don't get the double-digit wins, something that hasn't happened since they've joined FBS, which is kind of crazy to consider. So there are stakes. Robert, before we get to Jordan Gross, Panthers Hall of Honor inductee, I've got my college football playoff picks here. The reason why we didn't tease this that much and didn't make a big deal out of it, it's chalkier than I'd like it to be, but let's get this thing started. The first team I have making the college football playoff, the number one seed, the Oklahoma Sooners. Everybody pays attention to the quarterback, and it's true. When Lincoln Riley has an experienced quarterback, they make the playoff. The defense, really strong. I love what the Sooners have coming back defensively, and I don't see a whole lot of tests in the Big 12 they're going to face. I don't think they're going to play a road game away from Norman now that they're playing Tulane and Norman because of Hurricane Ida until maybe the first week of October. So they're going to get off to a hot start, and they belong in the top four for sure. I think they're going to finish things out undefeated and the number one seed in the college football playoff. The second best team, I have Ohio State. I have concerns defensively, but last year I had concerns. How are they going to respond without Chase Young? And before that, how are they going to respond after losing another Bosa? They figure it out. For all the jokes people make about the ACC, about the gap between Clemson and the second-best team, why don't people make the same joke about the Big Ten? Because I would make the argument this year, the gap between Ohio State and whoever the second-best team in the Big Ten is, is wider than the gap between Clemson and North Carolina. I believe that. The gap is massive. I have no concerns about Stroud because of what's going to surround him. The best wide receiving core in America. Robert, there's a chance the two best wide receivers in next year's draft might come from the same wide receiving group. When you look at Garrett, Wilson, and Chris Olave from Ohio State. Did I mention I'm a Blitnikoff voter, by the way? Ohio State, they're second in this group. Clemson's third. That's because I think they beat Georgia on Saturday night. I flip-flopped on this. I've been on Georgia the entire offseason. I think Clemson wins this game, and if they win this game, they're a lock for the playoff. Why are they third? I think there's going to be a dumb ACC game they slip up and lose because before Trevor Lawrence alive, that's something that pretty much happened every single year. I think that does happen, but they're not going to lose two ACC games. With the win against Georgia, a one-loss Clemson is a lock to make the playoff. 
They're number three. And number four is the Georgia Bulldogs. Can't put them above Clemson because they will have lost to Clemson in this hypothetical. But the SEC champs aren't going to get left out. It's going to be the lowest seeded SEC champ in the college football playoffs history if it shakes out this way. Favorable schedule. The SEC East is a joke this year. Florida's down. Kentucky's decent. It's a wide gap. And on the other side, cross-division games, you don't have Bama. You don't have LSU. You don't even have uh, Texas A&M like they did last year with an expanded schedule. Georgia, I think, wins the SEC, and they make the CFP. In terms of who wins the championship, Robert, I haven't even prepped anything like this, so I'm doing this on the fly. I think Georgia would beat Oklahoma in a playoff game. If you have multiple weeks to prepare for Georgia or for Oklahoma, that's a problem for Lincoln Riley. I'll get, I'll take the Bulldogs to go to the championship game, and I think Clemson beats Ohio State, and then I think Clemson beats Georgia again in a rematch. So I think Saturday is going to be a the first of two matchups between Clemson and Georgia. I think Clemson's going to win twice. I think Clemson's going to win the national title. There you go. That's my college football playoff picks. Jordan Gross will join the show to talk about the Panthers O-line and more next on The Drive. You know who this is? You're on The Drive with Josh Graham on WSJS Sports. Let's go out on the farm in Idaho where we're being joined by Panthers Hall of Honor member Jordan Gross, the great left tackle, to talk all things Carolina Panthers. But let's start here, Jordan. What's been the chaos level on the farm lately? Uh, well, we're we're in September now, so things definitely slow down. Daylight's getting shorter. Stuff's growing less. Not as hot out. We had horrible heat this summer, July, and you know the beginning of August was just brutal. So. Kind of a time of celebration right now, man, getting ready for fall, which is a beautiful time of the year. The Carolina Panthers are hoping the chaos level is low on the offensive line, but since you were there for such a long period of time and know how stable things have to be at left tackle to get where you need to go, in fact, there's still many who think that the last time Carolina had stability at left tackle, you were there. What's your read and level of concern on uh, about the Panthers' offensive line right now? Uh, you know, at the preseason, I thought they looked pretty solid. Uh, the last game especially, I know that Pittsburgh wasn't playing their starters necessarily, but I thought Irving did a nice job. And, you know, Paradis has proven at center. The right, side, the right side's great with Miller and Moten and uh, Elfline there at left guard. So, I, who knows? It's, we'll wait and see. I know with Cam Irving, you've got a lot of experience there. Um, I've said on my podcast with Jake that we do for Panthers.com, I'm obviously excited about Brady Christensen and um, Deontay Brown, some of those young guys. And there is depth at that left tackle position with Scott and Daly both getting some reps in it. So, I don't think that we're bulletproof. You know, we're not incredibly deep with experience and proven commodities at the offensive line, but things could definitely be worse. And I appreciate you giving me that nice compliment that it hasn't been stable since I left because it's, you know, I, I probably don't ever really grow tired of hearing that. It makes me feel good when people give me that compliment. Jordan and Jake podcast, Jordan Gross, one of the co-hosts with us here on WSJS 
sports. Let's go back to when you played. I I really like what Carolina did with their front seven. Do you see any parallels between them and other fronts you hated going against in the NFL? You can never have too much speed rushing the passer, right? And I mean, the NFL, we've got an outstanding running back in Christian McCaffrey, but one of the reasons he's so great is because he's a threat through, uh, through the air catching the ball. So passing game, it's no secret, is, is king in the NFL. Disrupting the passing game is what you have to do as a defense to be successful, and, and that's what the Panthers have done. I think Brian Burns, everybody's excited about where he's at. I'm, I'm included in that. I think that he could really have a breakout season, become a national-known national level player. Um, I loved the signing of Hassan Reddick in the offseason. He's a, a very good edge rusher and a solid linebacker as well. I know he had an interception this preseason at that linebacker position. And So when you can have depth and speed, Morgan Fox, the starter at defensive end, he's, he's a capable pass rusher as well. And then Daquan Jones has had a good camp, and you see him on film, and him and Derek Brown, man, they're just such big guys inside. That size is tough to deal with. They can push the pocket in the pass game, clog up holes in the run game. But uh, if there is an area that, that you know, we'll see, it's the linebacker crew, and that's funny. You know, it's kind of like you talking about left tackle and my length of time. I was fortunate enough to play how that's been a question mark since when you lose thomas davis and luke keekley both within a couple of years together it makes that linebacking crew <laughs> those are some big shoes to fill so i know shaq thompson's done a nice job for a long time he'll continue to do so and jermaine carter won that starting spot at mike and uh those guys definitely have some questions to be answered and the most exciting part of our defense i think is our secondary and that's been in a rebuild process for a number of years as well and and uh, obviously Jeremy Chin was just so fun to watch last year. The game where he had two fumble recoveries for back-to-back touchdowns, we were driving. I was listening on the radio, and I was like, did this radio just re-air the same? Like, Did we go through a little time lag, and they're saying the same thing again? You know, So he's, he's a dynamic player, and, and everybody's excited about J.C. Horn, the local product. So the defense should be fun to watch. I have my fantasy football draft tonight, and I'm, I know that nobody that's in my league is listening to this broadcast because it's all Idaho people, but um, I'm going to try to get the Panthers' D. I think they're going to be a good unit. How late in the draft do you take defend, uh, defenses, and are you a guy who takes kickers? Well, our, our league is it's a, it's a bunch of husbands and wives, so everybody has their own team, but there's 12 of us, and you put in, you put in 100 bucks a person, and at the end of the year, the winner picks where we go have a sweet dinner party. So it's not like it's real high stakes if you win or lose. You kind of get the same thing no matter what. So I'll but you're be competitive, little... though. You're competitive. Yeah, you want to win. Yeah, like if I'm playing my wife or I'm playing my good, one of my best friends from high school, like I definitely want to beat him. And we get little side bets going. But my point is, it's not like I got to get, you know, I'm a loser tattooed on my forehead or whatever some of these leagues do, you know. So I'll be a little bit more free. So to answer your question, like if I really want the Panthers defense, you know, I could be like a I could be like a fifth round pick, sixth round probably as, <laughs> as early as go, you know, who knows. Jordan Gross is with us here. I was really hoping the loser would have to do the Waffle House challenge. No, the, none of that. The loser has to just make the accommodation. So they got to, like, book the, the you know private table and all that stuff. So it's a pretty, like, easy league to sign up for because either way you just go eat a bunch of food and drink some cocktails. Jordan Gross with us here on WSGS Sports. You mentioned watching some of these preseason games. I, I always loved listening to you on the radio broadcast, and I've really enjoyed 
watching 89 on the preseason games on TV, since you've got, I think, more analyst chops, let's say, in broadcasting, have you given them any pointers? Uh, well, Steve's been on NFL Network for a long time, as but not during live broadcasts of uh, games that he's calling. Um, I have not given Steve any pointers. I haven't talked to him in a little while. We usually keep in touch once a month or so, so I'm definitely due. Um, Steve, you know, Steve's so loved and, and rightly so by Panther fans for all he did in that stadium and in that uniform that he could kind of say anything and people would enjoy listening to him. And you know he's going to say something controversial, you know, the Joey Sly uh, when he said stick a fork in him, he's yeah. done. That was please <laughs> something that like I never would say. I'm just too like I'm just too much of a sympathetic person when it comes to those types of things. But Steve, uh, Steve doesn't doesn't mix words, man. He's going to say like he like he sees it or like he thinks it is. So um, I, I I enjoyed it, man. I think it was really cool that the Panthers were able to bring him in. I thought Taylor did a nice job as well. It was an enjoyable broadcast. The highlight, though, for me is hearing Steve Smith say us and we when talking about the Carolina Panthers, considering what how things went down with 89 and how ugly it got, does it give you satisfaction? Does it mean anything to you at all to hear that relationship repaired? Uh, I guess when the Hall of Honor festivities all took place and he was there for that and had his jersey on underneath the sport code, like that did it for me, so... I was very grateful um, that poor, I was happy for Steve. I guess grateful is not the right word. I was happy for Steve and his family and happy for Panther fans and new ownership and all that, that the the bridges were rebuilt there. Um, time heals all wounds. You know, that's a, obviously a, a true saying. And so seeing him in, in the broadcast booth and everything didn't shock me like it would have a few years ago. While we're talking about Smitty, I've got to ask you this. He's up for the Hall of Fame next year as a first ballot candidate you've shared a locker room with him for a very long time. So if somebody were listening right now who had a say in the Hall of Fame discussion, what would be the best case you have for Smitty being in the Hall? I think that Steve, he was a new kind of receiver. I mean, he's, his numbers are outstanding, and, and no offense to any quarterback that ever threw Steve a ball, but he caught passes from a complete – mixed bag of NFL quarterbacks. You know, Jake was his most consistent guy, and Cam um, was was pretty good when he had Steve, but he was an MVP player then. And it's Vinny Testaverde and Jimmy Clausen and Matt Moore and Brian St. Pierre and, I mean, David Carr. and uh, The list goes on and on. And for Steve to be where he's at in the receiving yards and catches and touchdowns says a lot about how, his ability to just go out and make plays. And the fact that he's five foot nine and was the biggest physical presence on the field most days. Uh, you just Hall of Fame is for the most famous and the best players ever at their position, and the, what Steve did with what he was given athletically and his impact he had on the game and how you could see defensive backs scared when they would go against him because Steve would beat you on the field, but he'd beat you in your mind as well. He'd beat you with his body. I mean, it was he was a uh, – a generational wide receiver for his impact he had on the field. So I didn't get in. I mean, I'm not going to say it's a sham because everybody's got reasons and there's lots of other players that will be up and all that stuff, but there's nobody more deserving for what they did between the lines than Steve. 
Jordan Gross with us here. Before we let you go and tend to September Idaho farm things, uh, a few things to get to. In terms of power rushers, who did you hate going against the most? Uh, my early in my career, my first couple of years, I went against Strahan a few times, and he let, definitely left a mark in my mental, uh, my memory with his ability to be just a tremendously strong uh, pass rusher. And Did he talk to you? To take, um, no, I mean, my my first game against him was the last game of the year, my rookie year, and we'd already won the division, and we were going to playoffs, and, and they were out of the playoffs. So now, I mean, now I know that Strahan was just trying to get through the game healthy and get to the offseason. And, of course, as a rookie with something to prove, I was just going as hard as I could against him, and I remember I pancaked him. And he, wasn't, he was being friendly, you know, just kind of doing his thing. I pancaked him over a pile or knocked, you know, through the whistle kind of deal, got him on the ground. And he got up all pissed off and said, all right, gross, I'm going to put it on you now. And after that, it was just the worst day of my life. He got like a sack and a hit on quarterback in the next two series. And I was just peeing down my leg the rest of the day. But he he was, I mean, that's, I mean, that's a NFL legend right there. Um, I always go back to Julius Peppers because he, he was anything. He was power. He was speed. He was just physically so different from everybody else and then uh the guy when you asked me though just strength alone justin smith who was a defensive lineman for the Bengals for a number of years and then most prominent with the niners when they were having their runs with harbaugh and stuff just a massively strong country guy from missouri that just would walk you back to the quarterback if you didn't have your act together so when, when you can stand out above the crowd in the nfl as somebody who triggers the thought of power i mean you're an incredibly strong person so those were the ones that would definitely make my list last thing this is going to be completely off the wall but it was something we were talking about is it okay to use a restaurant bathroom without ordering any food no no like a subway i was at subway earlier today saw somebody just walk in go to the bathroom didn't order anything left that's not okay by jordan gross breaking the law or anything like that but i just feel like yeah if that's what makes locks get put on bathroom doors and then there's nothing more annoying than when you go all the way to the bathroom and there's a lock on it and then you have to come back and get that now it's like mostly the touch pad with a code but there's nothing crustier than the old school bathroom key with like a inner tube hooked to it that so you wouldn't steal the key you know and you know that <laughs> key went in every single bathroom or with every patron that went in there so if you don't buy something then they're gonna have they're gonna bring back bathroom keys so we got to get we don't want to go back to that it's like worse than covid is bathroom keys in 2021 i think the message for everybody is make make sure you think about others have a little bit of compassion with the decisions that you make jordan gross it's uh it's good to have you we played some avid brothers going in uh you're in idaho you grew up in idaho i believe but Part of me still believes that you identify yourself as a North Carolina guy a little bit if you love the Avids that much. Well, when I hear anything about the Carolinas, that region, and I still go back, you know, and I, we were there 15 years almost, so I, it's my home away from home, that's for sure. So, yeah, I'm, I'm one of you. One of y'all. One of y'all, I should say. <laughs> as Brad Hoover would say. Jordan Gross, thanks so much for spending the time. We'll catch up sometime soon. All right. You know who this is? You're on The Drive with Josh Graham on WSJS Sports.
to three, you can listen to the Adam Gold Show. AG just got off the air, steps into our studio for a little bit, as he does each and every week. And Adam, we were just talking about best of the 80s. Toto? <laughs> no, actually, that might be 70s. That might, best, that might be best of the 70s. Robert, is Toto 70s or 80s? When you, it's, it's Yacht Rock either way. Africa's great if you want to get a couple dudes together, sing some karaoke. One guy doesn't want to do anything but harmonize. If you can you, harmonize you're, you're right... You're the guy who sings harmony. That's me. You could do uh, Simon and Garfunkel. Uh-huh. Can you do the Art Garfunkel parts? See, if I'm going to go anything... With Paul Simon, I'm probably singing The Boxer. Great song. Robert, when did Africa by Toto come out, you think? Uh, Toto the band started in 1977. So Africa came out in 1982. So it took them five years to come up with a decent song. Wow. Good for them. Good, Good for them. <laughs> so hey, man. We were talking Sorry. about the Duke's Mayo Classic. <laughs> and you got... There are really... It's a wonderful slate. In fact... College football actually starts tonight when you have Jacksonville State facing UAB. Woo! We're going to have football on our televisions every night, college football, between now and Monday. The next yeah. six nights, we're going to have college football. But there are three that stand out among the rest here in this state. And I just wanted to ask you real quickly about all three of these games. And we'll do it chronologically. Sure. Tomorrow, it's Appalachian State. It's East Carolina. What interest do you hear? Who does this game matter more to? Well, I mean, it all depends on what you're... I actually think that East Carolina d just needs to have a credible showing. I mean, to, I think this is going to be... This is a tough year, I think, for Mike Houston's club. Because I think their schedule's really hard. And if they don't get off to a decent start... I mean, it could spiral. They could be better and have a terrible record. This is what's crazy about it. They could start 0-2 if they lose to App State and then lose to South Carolina. But given the news yesterday where they're starting a GA at quarterback this week in their opener, South Carolina, if ECU were somehow, some way, wouldn't it be the craziest thing to beat App State tomorrow night? You could be looking at a scenario. You're, running, you're returning home to Greenville, America, and you've got... Right. South Carolina coming in with the GA starting at quarterback. Yeah, but they have an SEC offensive and defensive line. That, that doesn't mean you can't win the game. Sure. So I'm not saying that they. I mean, South Carolina's record's pretty but good, I, but I just think that they're right. Um, but I I think their schedule is really hard. Uh, that game against Tulane, to me, is the most important game that they'll play because right after that you've got Houston and Central Florida on the road. I mean really the schedule is difficult, the league is good. Uh, it, so again, I think they could be better and have a worse record. We're more concerned about ECU being able to get to a bowl than Appalachian State. So I, in that sense, we're talking about this game look, matters more I, for ECU. I, I just think I just think they have to a credible performance is important for them. To me, App can win the game. I don't think App's going to win at Miami because uh, I think Miami is really good. But that's a game where you want to see App just perform well. Uh, but, man, uh, middle of the season to go back-to-back -back with Louisiana and Coastal Carolina. I mean, App could win the league. They're very optimistic about Chase Bryce. I can't unsee last year. So, and Chase Bryce was a disaster. So, I hope it works out well for App and Chase Bryce. But again, 
the rest of their team should be uh, should be pretty good. When I'm in the car, I, I have a habit of that's where I knock out all my phone calls. If I have to make phone calls with right. people, I do it while I'm Always. on my commute, drive in, drive home. Last night, I was catching up with a few friends. One is a Carolina fan. Another right. is a Virginia Tech fan. And the Carolina fan was talking to me just uber confident mm-hmm. about beating Virginia Tech on Friday. Sure. And the Virginia Tech fan was talking really despondently. Oh, we have no shot winning Friday night. <laughs> and I, they have a shot. I, I have not arrived at this place where I have any level of confidence that North Carolina is going to go into that place and beat Virginia Tech given some of the road pitfalls they had last year in Charlottesville and also in Tallahassee. They are the more talented team, there's no question. Yeah. But what level of confidence do you have in the Tar Heels Friday night? Oh, I think they'll win the game. I won't be surprised if they lose it. I think Virginia Tech's already an angry, desperate football team, and Justin Fuente is coaching for his job. You know, I've, I've, All of these factors matter. Lane Stadium matters. Season opening games are always a little odd to begin with. That matters. Uh, but... If North Carolina, I, I don't think the skill position players matter for UNC. They're not going to be as good at running back and wide receiver as they were a year ago. Impossible. They lost 50 touchdowns off last year's team. 4,000 yards and 50 touchdowns, roughly. They're not going to be as good at running back and wide receiver. Where they should be better is on both lines. And that's where they win the game, to me. Um, as long as they don't make a bunch of silly mistakes and commit a bunch of penalties, get killed in special teams, which are all possibilities. Uh, but I think I don't think it'll be easy by any stretch. I think that's gonna be this is gonna be a really good football game uh, and a lot of fun, but I think Carolina will win it. All off season, Adam Gold's in with us, by the way. Your thoughts on Twitter at WSJS Sports three three six seven 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 one six hundred if you want to catch both the afternoon hosts together for something. Georgia Are we taking phone calls? We could if you want uh, to. Whatever, whatever we do. Yeah, Georgia and Clemson. All offseason long, I've been on Georgia for this game. Right. They're more experienced. They bring back more starters. Mm-hmm. I, I have more confidence. But then when I studied the injury report for this game, I, I flipped. I, I can't bank on Georgia and Kirby Smart's record against top five teams was one and ah, four in his last. There you go. There you go. And. The fact that their center's hurt and it's a snapping hand and you're going up against that front and the fact that you lose George Pickens. I snap. I can snap with both hands. That's impressive. I'm actually better snapping with my left hand than my right hand. My fiance, I don't think, can snap. I don't think she knows I how can't, to. I can't whistle. Who should be favored in this game? Well, Clemson should be favored. And they are by, a, by what? Three, three, three points? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, Clemson should be favored. They have, uh, you know... Quarterback DJU's probably going to be a top five quarterback. Oh, do we like DJU? Big Cinco, I think, is what he goes by. DJU, that's pretty good. Yeah, that's what you say when you can't. You're not confident of saying his name. Yeah, you I just understand say DJU. that. DJU, uh, like I usually just worry... say Buddy if I run into somebody <laughs> I don't know their name. Oh, well, that's true. My my worry is I didn't like Clemson on the offensive or defensive lines last year. And I don't know that they're going to be significantly better on the offensive line this year. Mm-hmm. But I think they'll be really good on... They're going to have a defensive line that looks kind of representative of what they had a few years ago. Missing wide receivers and having some problems on the O-line. Two places you don't want to have problems yeah, against. but here's Clemson. the thing. I'm, I'm not... The wide receiver thing doesn't really matter to me unless you're bad. 
I mean, unless you have nobody, which I guess is is possible, but um, I'm more. I would be more concerned because last year, I think the biggest problem with Clemson last year couldn't run it, could not run the ball. You have Travis Etienne, one of the best running backs in all of college football, and couldn't run the ball. He did everything in space, really out of the passing game and some broken plays because they couldn't run. Adam Gold's in with us. Two quick things I want to get to with sure. you. It was hilarious what the Carolina Hurricanes did to the Montreal Canadiens last weekend. Is the, the social joke, media element was just yes. amazing. How less funny is the joke if Montreal decides they do not want to match the offer Carolina had here? From a hockey standpoint, taking the joke out of it, and I thought the joke was awesome. From a hockey standpoint, this only benefits Carolina if... They sign him to a contract extension at some point for a reasonable number, and that reasonable number is, to me, at best, $3.5 million a year. So if they sign him to a four-year, $14 million contract in January extension, then this was a superb hockey move because it probably takes care of you know, one of their top three center spots for the next four or five years. To be perfectly honest, he's that good. He's a talented offensive player. But did we pick- really have issues with the Canes down the middle? I- no, I was but they don't need a center the today. They're going to need a center tomorrow. Yeah. Right? Jordan Stahl has got one more year after this on a contract. And frankly, he's getting to the point where you'd like to really limit his minutes. So if you can get him as your fourth line center next year, Suddenly, you are I mean, you are really looking good down the middle. Plus, he's a talented player. He can play on the wing. And that's where I figure he's going to play, either next to Ajo or next to Trocek. Last thing for you, Bryson DeChambeau. Man, he, he blew things. He lost a, he, the BMW championship. You had the playoff. It was a lot of fun to watch on TV. Then you have the ruling that says you can't yell mm-hmm. Brooksy at DeChambeau. Right. As if... They're not going to find something else that they can yell, even if it's the most loving of things. We love you, Bryson! Right. Things like that, which led to Rory McIlroy having comments earlier today where he says, I, I feel sympathy for him, mm-hmm. and I think it's hard being Bryson DeChambeau. Do you have sympathy for Bryson DeChambeau? Yeah, and I don't like him. I'm not. A, I've never been a Bryson DeChambeau fan. I don't like him because he's right. fake, not because he could be a jerk sometimes. Right. Brooks Kepka, he's at least going to tell you how he feels. DeChambeau. Will I don't tell like you, Kepka either. Yeah, Bryson will tell you that he loves it when people calls him Brooksy publicly. No, you don't. No, he just doesn't. Don't, he just doesn't don't care. tell us that. He doesn't stuff. want it. He, he, and they're mocking him. Look, I think the PGA Tour has a problem, and the PGA Tour's problem is this culture of of heckling that has been directed at Bryson. And Bryson DeChambeau right now is the moneymaker. He's the number one draw on the PGA Tour. Really? Yeah, oh, yeah. There's no, there's no question he is. I mean, he's just different. He's crushing. People, chicks dig the long ball, man. He is crushing the ball. He's He wins. He is a great player. I happen to not like him, but that doesn't mean I don't like people. And I have empathy for the human being that is Bryson DeChambeau. I don't root for him. Uh, but it's not only making his life more difficult, it's making his playing partner's life more difficult. Harris English was affected by him at the World Golf Championship. He probably wins that if that were a normal atmosphere. Even a little bit of a rowdy atmosphere. Fell apart he, in that. Right. 
They both did. I mean, uh, English was 40 on the back. Uh, DeChambeau was 41 on the back. So I think the PGA Tour looked and saw the situation and said, we got to stop this. And I've actually been saying this for a few weeks, that they have to stop it. I am still blown away that Kepka has not been criticized for this because I think he is the sole reason why this has escalated to the point where it has. You know, when you offer people free beer for getting kicked out for heckling uh, DeChambeau Memorial, which is what he did, Yes, he did. Oh, you guys You guys got kicked out because you were, uh, I don't know, supporting me? Here's a case of beer. I'm like, what are you doing? And the PGA Tour did nothing about that. Well, at least publicly. We don't know. Because they will not announce whether or not they hand fines. You're not allowed to criticize another player. You're not allowed to go to the media and criticize another player. But Kepka has done that in such a way several times. He criticized McElroy, criticized DJ, right, at, yes, at times. Did. Uh, he's been disrespectful to his fellow uh, to his fellow players, um, but you know Brooks is the cool kid. Everybody wants to be at the lunch table with Brooks, and everybody kind of mocks the the nerdy, you know, socially awkward kid in Bryson, uh, and that's really where we are. And that's the element that the PGA Tour needs to. I'm not saying get rid of, but just kind of dial back. Right? I mean, you want all sorts of Were things. you the cool kid or the kid that was socially Oh, awkward? man. Of course I was the cool kid. There you go. Adam, noon to three yeah. tomorrow. We'll listen to you then. Thanks for doing that. All right. Thank you. Oh, you won't be talking on the phone? Talking on the phone? Like at, you know, for between noon and three when you're in oh, the that's car. Right. That's right. I will not be in talking the on the phone from noon to three. <laughs> I will actually have you just dialed in. Oh, of course. So even if I'm on the phone. Oh. They're going to hear that in the background. A battle royale of college football preview tomorrow. Wow. Every hour is all college football tomorrow. Unbelievable. Noon to three, we could expect Mm. that for Adam Gold. Yes. Bill Belichick had a press conference today, and he had comments on Cam that are worth listening to, if you could believe that. Oh, and there's a chance we might talk about Mac Jones, because I had someone hit me yesterday and said, "Uh, you talked a lot about Cam. There's another guy in this story. I agree. We'll talk about that next. You're on the drive with Josh Graham. Proceed slowly and with caution on WSJS Sports. Fourteen years ago today, Appalachian State pulled off the greatest upset in the history of college football. That was according to ESPN when they did the College Football 150 series. App State, Michigan, the number one upset in the first 150 years of college football. Obviously still something the folks in Boone talk about to this day, and they will, I think, throughout our lifetimes, it's going to be something we think about. September the 1st of 2007, We'll talk to the voice of the Mountaineers, Adam Witten, about it in just a few minutes. There might be a few things you forgot about it, though, over the years. Like, this is something interesting, especially when we talk about the TV arms race and TV revenue and the ACC network and the SEC network continuing to grow. The Big Ten was first in creating its own TV network, its own little linear channel. The first ever Big Ten network game was App State, Michigan. So, Robert, so many times people were wondering, hey, why can't I get this game? Is it only on this channel? Is it somewhere else? Could you imagine when they see the score of that game 
how many people were wondering, how do I get a hold of the Big Ten Network? Nobody really knew or cared to have that that channel around here, certainly, until that game happened. But App State, Michigan, the first ever college football broadcast on the Big Ten Network. Michigan didn't overlook App either. There's this perception, because it's this great upset, and they're the number five team in the country playing in the big house, that they overlooked App, and App caught them napping early on, then caught up late to make it close. No, 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 no. Michigan scored on the opening drive. Mike Hart had a touchdown run. They marched up and down the field. They were up 14-7 to on App, so they got a pretty decent shot from Michigan. App State just was this FCS championship team that belonged on the same field with Michigan that day. There's no doubt. And the game <laughs> obviously ended up being close. The management at the end is something that I often forget about until I rewatch the final two minutes. I, to this day, will never understand why Jerry Moore lined up for a field goal with 30 seconds left on first down and gave Michigan time to go down the field. Mario Manningham, through pass interference, made that catch to allow for that field goal attempt at the very end. The game management really sticks out to me. Before we get to the radio call, which I love, let's go to John and Winston-Salem very quickly who wants in. John, what question do you have? Since you're a Mountaineer fan, I'll well, work you as in. Long as, you, as long as you're talking about upsets and your East Carolina Pirates tomorrow night, I was wondering if you'd reconsidered on uh, taking my bet. Talk to me tomorrow. Tomorrow's okay. going to be too late. I'm getting close. Make a, make a line in the sand. Girl's fine. Let me see it. Plus ten and a half? I'll give you plus three. <sighs> no dice. No dice, John. Not wearing the cheerleader outfit. Not going to do it yet. We'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for the call. appreciate that, uh, Mountaineer John. Still not there yet, Robert. But I do love this play-by-play call. This is David Jackson the old voice of the Appalachian State Mountaineers. This is probably my favorite radio call of all time. This is the final call. It still gives me goosebumps to this day. The Mountaineers have just beaten the Michigan Wolverines. The Mountaineers of Appalachian State have just beaten the Michigan Wolverines in the big house. It's awesome. When you have the color analyst, trampling all over David Jackson. Usually that's something that would annoy me, but in that context, not so much. Uh, it's it's an unbelievable call. And another thing that might be forgotten as the years go on, I- I'm just a huge college football nut, 2007 was an unbelievable year for college football. I, I don't know, you'd be hard-pressed to find a better college football season from start to finish than 2007. Just in the context of upsets, consider this. It started with App State in Michigan, but here's a list of some of the upsets that happened just in that season alone, 2007. Remember when Stanford was a 40-point underdog against Jim Harbaugh, or with Jim Harbaugh against Pete Carroll and USC? That fourth down play, that catch, that was 2007. Navy had not beaten... Notre Dame, since 1963, they play every year. They won in 2007. It was a triple overtime game. End of the season, last week, 
Pat McAfee misses an extra point length kick wide to the left somehow. West Virginia is playing four and seven. Dave Wanstead in Pittsburgh. They lose that game in the backyard brawl. And they would have been in the national title game if they won it. Then when you got the bowl season, one of my favorite college football games ever was the Boise State-Oklahoma game. Adrian Peterson was hurt all that year, came back for the bowl game. Fourth down, Jared Zabramski, hook and ladder play to, to tie it up. And then in overtime, the Statue of Liberty play to Ian Johnson, the running back, who proposed to his now wife, who was a cheerleader at Boise State, right after that game ended. That's just in the year 2007. And it all started with App State and Michigan. So I want to talk to an App State student, an App State alum, I should say, who's now the voice of the Mountaineers and Adam Witten, who joins us. I remember vividly, where the heck is the Big Ten Network? It was the first ever Big Ten football broadcast. I was playing high school soccer in 2007, trying to figure out where I could find this game, and I was stunned that this upset happened. What do you remember about App State's upset of Michigan? Hey, Josh, uh, good to talk to you, my man. Um, I don't have a great story from the Michigan game because I, like you, was frustrated at the fact that I could not find the Big Ten Network here in Winston-Salem. <laughs> and I was working. I was actually w- running a college football broadcast at the time that kicked off at the same time. So I'm in a studio wearing a headset, not being able to listen to David Jackson and Steve Brown because my ears were preoccupied with my job, not being able to watch the game because we couldn't get Big Ten Network. And so I was relegated to just refreshing ESPN.com because there was no Twitter at that time either. So that's how I followed along with the greatest upset in college football history. (laughs) And now you're the voice of the Mountaineers. It would not be the greatest upset in history if East Carolina, my alma mater, were able to beat your alma mater in App State. (laughs) Ten and a half point spread in Charlotte. It's kind of a bummer this game's happening on Thursday night and that you're not able to have the packed house looking at 65,000, 70,000 fans. I think Doug Gillen told us yesterday they're looking to have 40K, and that would be pretty good for them. In terms of stakes, what are the stakes for Appalachian State tomorrow night when they face ECU? a good question there's there's kind of a couple components to that i i believe in terms of the game itself you know appalachian because of the success that it's had over the last several years and you know beating north carolina two years ago feeling like it's while it didn't beat wake forest it was right there and a block kick away from beating wake in 2017 as they were making this rise to where they are now in the fbs you know app is f has laid claim to the fact that we're we're they feel like they're the best program in the state of North Carolina and they relish any opportunity to try and prove that and to try to notch another victory against an in-state opponent. ECU is, is the next chance for them to do that in the non-conference. I under, I realized, and Josh, you know, all too well, ECU football has fallen on some hard times over the last six years, but this is a program that's trying to turn the corner now under Mike Houston in year three. And, you know, I think regardless of, how good the opponent is when you play in ECU, when you play Charlotte, North Carolina, Wake Forest, NC State, whomever it is. If you can beat an in-state opponent at the FBS, it just helps to strengthen your claim, um, and it does wonders for the university's profile. Off the field, it's this is um, this is kind of a beta test a little bit for App's 
presence and performance and what it can do with these neutral site type of games. This is something that a lot of FBS programs have experienced, whether it's in Charlotte or Atlanta or, or somewhere different. These neutral site, interesting regional games that galvanize both fan bases. And so App is getting that opportunity at the Panthers Stadium for the first time against, against ECU. And so when you have an opportunity to gain a stronger foothold in the city's largest market in Charlotte at an NFL stadium, you're getting national eyeballs. You're getting eyeballs from, from around the region to, to see how you perform, how well the fan base travels. And yes, it, it would have been helpful to be on a Saturday as originally scheduled, but listen, app is still going to show up. They're going to be loud. ECU is going to show up. They're going to be loud. And so I, I think this game has, a, has, some implications in terms of strengthening that grip on on Mecklenburg County on the on the alumni base for both schools, um, and, and and potentially to have some impact beyond just the state of North Carolina by winning a game in, in this type of stage. Follow him on Twitter at Adam B Witten on social media on Twitter. Uh, safe travels from the Triad to Charlotte. We look forward to watching it. I hope. This is a game that happens year to year. I know it's the start of a four-game series. Uh, this is something that just makes a lot of sense. I hope you have a lot of fun calling it, Adam. Yeah, I appreciate it, Josh. And, and I do just kind of want to give a give a word of, of um, prayer and, and our thoughts of, of the folks that have been dealing with a really tough day around around the city of Winston-Salem with, yeah. with what happened at Mount Tabor earlier today. So um, anybody that's listening that was impacted by that, um, you know, hang in there. It's been a really tough day for a lot of people. Uh, you know, our thoughts and prayers to the folks in that Mount Tabor community. And uh, it's scary stuff. And I uh, hope everyone's doing okay. Seconded. Thank for sa- thanks for saying that. And um, I-, I second exactly what you said there. Uh, have a great call tomorrow night, Adam. Thanks again. All right. All right, Josh. See there you me. go. So that's Adam Witten, the voice of Appalachian State, joining us here on WSJS Sports. I've been scared off of picking Georgia Saturday night. I'll tell you why I've changed my mind next on The Drive.